Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 127 for Thursday, February 9th, 2012. The call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number is 347-324-3541. And if you want to leave any feedback, our feedback line is 347-815-0687. 347-815-0MTR. All right, we got a ton of stuff to do. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, first off, my guest this evening, actually, it's a mixture of two guests. Uh, ben, our resident MMA writer, is going to be joining me for the MMA segment. We're going to discuss the UFC event this from this past weekend and the decision that went down involving Nick Diaz and Carlos Condit, as well as the fallout from that event. So we'll be discussing that. And we will be joined by former WCW and WWE champion Diamond Dallas Page. We're going to be talking about his DDP yoga program, and we're also going to talk a little wrestling as well. He's actually doing a really great promotion while we are on air. If you guys decide to order the DDP yoga program, Diamond and enter DDP Bang in the promo area, Diamond Dallas Page will call you personally. Um, within 24 hours. So if you're listening to the show live, feel free to order the DDP Yoga program if you're interested, and Diamond Dallas Page will give you a call within 24 hours. He's going to be joining us at 11.30, so be on the lookout for that within the next half hour or so, hopefully. All right, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. We have a lot to discuss. Uh, our Facebook fan page, we've been getting a lot of great interactions from you guys. I'm glad a lot of you are participating more actively now. It makes getting rid of the forum um, a little more bearable, I should say. I think that the Facebook fan page allows a different level of interaction just because people are always logged in and they can't hide behind fake names. So I really am enjoying that facet of it. I think that 
We just got to continue to push engagement. You guys, whatever you guys want to discuss, if you guys want to see more wrestling stuff, more MMA stuff. Uh, one guy was asking about posting more divas. He asked me that actually via uh, an email. Of, I'd say about two days back, we were just talking about some other stuff. And he's like, you know, putting the diva stuff on the fan page gets people talking. And I mean, that's good, but I just don't want to become the guy that's going to use boobs to get over, especially if I'm not being outright about it. If I'm going to put uh, somebody scantily clad on the fan page, it's going to be with the intention of getting commentary, not just to get likes. So there's definitely going to be stuff there that you're going to be seeing change in a couple of weeks. Like I said, you can always comment on the fan page or call the feedback line if you're interested in seeing certain things on there. As I've been saying for the last couple of weeks, this will be the final live MTR for the next two weeks we're going to be doing uh, i guess you could call them mini episodes micro episodes of mtr and um we're going to break it down by segment i can explain it to you guys fully now uh this particular style of show is going to be happening the week of february 13th and the week of february 20th each segment is going to be broken up into a smaller show roughly 30 minutes to an hour tops and we'll be releasing that exclusively for iTunes and Stitcher subscribers. App owners will probably get first dibs on it probably a day earlier than people that have Stitcher or iTunes only because they have the app so you know they have a little bit they have a little bit more um, to expect from us. All episodes will be 96k stereo and we're going to be doing them a little differently like I said we're going to have a couple of different guests coming on and doing the shows with me. Uh, there may be an MMA an MMA themed episode with myself, possibly Ben, maybe Josh Wood from MMA Valor or Gary formerly of MMA Gospel. We're going to do some video game stuff with the guys from VGN. We're going to do some movie stuff with Josh, maybe Spill Bag of Ice or DVD Snapshot. So be on the lookout for that starting within the next two weeks. We're also going to be adding new interviews for our Beyond the Mic and Behind the Mic series. So it's going to be uh, a chock full of new content for you guys during these two weeks. MTR will return live March 1st at 11. I'll make sure to keep you guys posted via Twitter and Facebook, letting you guys know if anything should change. As I said, each mini episode will be 30 minutes to an hour tops. And this is all a test. We're not going to stop doing live broadcasts for the foreseeable future, but we want to just test out feedback and engagement. So with that said, the only thing that I'm asking is that if you guys like the new format or you guys want to change things or you want to see something different, please make your voices heard via the feedback line or Facebook or Twitter because that's going to set the tone for the direction of the show in the foreseeable future. That's pretty much it. As you know, you heard the pre-roll at the top of the show uh, recommending Stitcher. To those of you that don't want to use iTunes, just uh, download the Stitcher app, enter the MyTake promo code, $100 is yours, you guys know the deal. And like I said, it's just a great way to stream MTR without taking up any space on your mobile device. GetGlue check-ins, we're getting a lot of great feedback from GetGlue. I still am waiting for stickers to go live, no clue as to when that's going to happen T-shirts, same thing. You guys know where they are on MyTakeRadio.com. You can go there to order them. 
our Amazon affiliate store. If you do shopping on Amazon, I, you know it feels like I'm uh, a broken record, but if you do shopping on Amazon, do it through our affiliate store. It helps us out, allows us to upgrade our equipment and give you guys better audio and better presentation across the board. Uh, one of the things, the most recent upgrades that we did was mobile a mobile recorder, which if you check out the Safe House reviews that we're putting up after midnight you'll get to see how that paid off in addition we covered video game day 2012 and we got to take some awesome photos and talk to so many great people at that event and all of that is not only fueled by us by by the mtr staff but by you know the feedback and the help of others that support the show so again if you do any shopping hit up the amazon store it's it's no it's no underhanded shit it's the same reliability and service from amazon you've come to expect and you'll be helping mtr in the process we got a ton of new content on mytakeradio.com this week we got some trailers we got some stuff from slick including his uh his review of the search for tobin frost browser-based game which is a tie-in for safe house i also did a review for that and that's part of the work that we've been doing with the PR department for the Safe House film. Um, since the film is released tomorrow, I can share with you guys that myself and Andrea got to go and see the film, um, I'd say roughly two weeks ago. We also got to meet the director, Daniel Espinoza, and speak to him about the film. So you're going to start seeing more stuff with regards to that. The review that will go live after midnight is going to have some audio from the interview as well as some photos and some other little nuggets of information that the general press haven't really put out there. So be on the lookout for that. We're very proud of that, and we enjoyed speaking with the director, and we got to throw a shout-out to Console Kings and also Liquid Soul Media for thinking of MTR and allowing us to participate in that event. Also... I know Slick has some Archer stuff coming up this weekend, so be on the lookout for that. And um, we might even check out a movie this week, so we might have a movie review for you guys. And last but not least, you will be seeing, hopefully within the next two weeks, the return of the Minority Film Report. Uh, Slick and I have some really great ideas of some films that we're going to want to give the MFR treatment to, so be on the lookout for that as well. Also, if you have the app, and are an iTunes or Stitcher subscriber, you can check out the newest MTR Behind the Mic with Kyle Krause from the Nitro Game Injection. So you can check that out there. All right, here's a rundown of tonight's topics. We got UFC 143. We're going to talk a little bit about Monday Night Raw. DDP is going to join us at 1130. We got some video game news. We got some entertainment news. So let's not beat this up anymore and get right into the MMA news and um, UFC 143 to start. Let's take it away. All right, before I bring Ben on, I just want to go through the UFC 143 card real quick. And I want to mention a couple of things that jumped out. Um, I had the opportunity to go see UFC 143 in, th- in a movie theater in 3D on Saturday. And while it was a, re- a really cool experience, I think that the movie industry has a really foul way of fucking people over. 
in seeing the film in 3D in the big screen, we were charged roughly $26 a ticket. So to see the film in the theater, it cost us 52 bucks. For that, I could have just as easily ordered the pay-per-view in HD and dealt with less noise. But we went with a with a group of friends um, to, in celebration of, of one of their birthdays. And it was just a kick-ass experience, but it was just not something that I would really shell out $52 for in the future. Not to mention that when we were, before going into the theater, we were you get searched, you got to empty out your pockets. I don't know why, maybe they think because you're an MMA fan, you're going to kill each other, or God knows what else. Uh, the 3D presentation of the event was... I really want to say it was just a... It, it really didn't need to be 3D, in my opinion. It could have been enjoyed in regular 2D, but hey, it's just another cash grab from the UFC. I got to give credit where credit is due. Overall, though, the pay-per-view experience was cool in the theater, and if you get an opportunity to check it out, not paying an arm and a leg you definitely should do so because the theater was really packed, I have to admit. All right. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the main event, well, the main card, and before I, like I said, before I bring Ben on, I want to talk about the return of Ed Short Fuse Herman. He was taken on Clifford Starks. Uh, very impressive return by Ed Herman. Clifford Starks had him in trouble definitely in the first round, and the second round, Ed Herman using his you know octagon awareness and savvy as being a UFC veteran, definitely sunk in a beautiful rear naked choke that I didn't even see coming. It was it was so quick and so fluid, and it worked so well. Ed Herman secured victory by submission, rear naked choke in round two. On the bantamweight side of things, Henan Barrow was taking on Scott Jorgensen. I'm actually a big Scott Jorgensen fan. Every time that kid goes out there, he fights, balls to the wall, leaves it all in the cage, and he was definitely a game opponent for Henan Barrow. Um, Henan, during the fight, was getting an incredible verbal stroke job from Joe Rogan and Mike Goldberg. I, you know, he trains with Jose Aldo. He has. Uh, huge pressure on his shoulders to deliver on the same level that Aldo does, but it's a totally different athlete. And while he did look good in his fight, by the third round, he definitely was showing some exhaustion. Jorgensen definitely pushed him. It wasn't like the guy debuted and steamrolled through Scott Jorgensen. So Henan Barrow is going to be somebody to watch, but Heaping so much praise on a guy that's just coming in is is another story. I mean, he has a, a great amateur record, but you know, come on, you gotta, you can't just discount a guy like Scott Jorgensen in a match like this because in MMA anybody can get an ass whooping. On the welterweight side of things, Koscheck, Mike Pierce. I expected this to be extremely exciting. I was sadly disappointed. Koscheck wins via split decision. And I'm going to bring Ben in so we can discuss the heavyweight bout and also the interim welterweight bout with uh, GSP and Carlos Condit. Ben, what's going on, dude? What's up? What's up? Nothing, man. Well, welcome to officially being on air. <laughs> uh, thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, have a beer. let's talk about uh, Verdum and Roy Nelson because... This was probably, the, besides the main event, one of the most exciting fights on the card. It just kind of snuck in under the radar. Roy Nelson came in, in 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 better shape than usual. He's losing a lot of weight, and Verdum had 
ridiculous striking. Uh, excellent Muay Thai. Uh, what did you think of the fight? And how impressed were you with Verdum's return to the UFC and his improved striking? I was pretty impressed with Verdum. Um, I mean, I've seen... I mean, with, with Verdum, people underestimate him. People kind of think his win over Fedor was a fluke. But this guy has been consistently beating heavyweights for quite some time. He beat Bigfoot Silva. He uh, he tapped out Overeem. Um, you know, he, he, he's been consistently beating heavyweights for quite some time. So um, I, w- I was pretty impressed with the knees, especially. He really, really cut up uh, uh, Big Country. Um, the thing with Big Country is, though, he he's fat. He's it, it, like most heavyweights. You, you, he, he's literally a fat guy, and you can tell he gets tired really quickly in fights. I mean, he has a lot of power, but he, he gets really tired. And I think Verdun was able to just use that against him and, and light him up with some knees. Well, the funny thing that I that that amused me in that fight was Joe Rogan calling Big Country Kung Fu Panda because of his belly, and I and I laughed substantially when that happened. I actually laughed for at least a good five minutes because it was so fitting. But I really was impressed with Verdum striking the the problem with Roy Nelson is, and a lot of people have said it is that he can is. He's gotten over on being great at what he does, but if he applied himself just a smidge more, he'd be an animal in there. See, maybe at heavyweight. See, I don't think he could be it. it, it I've heard a lot of people say he could cut down a light heavyweight. Hell I'd no. Fuck out of here. Like, I think he'd get straight murked by a majority of light heavyweights. Uh, he's, I mean, heavyweight itself is a really shallow division. There's really good guys at the top, and then it bottoms out. And he's in that mid, mid. He can beat a lot of lower tier guys, but the higher tier guys are going to do what Redoom was able to do him, what uh, Junior Dos Santos was able to do to him. He's not going to beat the, the big guys. And I don't know how much more weight he can lose. I, I just think, I don't think that the fact that he's fat is what's keeping him from being great. I think uh, his record, which was built like in the IFC and an old, other organizations was good because he was fighting lower tier heavyweights. I don't, I, I, I think he's a decent heavyweight, but I don't think he's anything super special. See, I, I like Big Country because he's a great. You can almost say he's a great um, gatekeeper for the heavyweight division. Every time somebody goes in there with him, they're going to have an exciting fight, and it really is up in the air with certain guys how they're going to do. I mean, Verdum didn't really impress me in his fight with Overeem. You know, he was trying to get Overeem to the ground, and, you know, Overeem was having none of that. And in the case with Big Country, that fight was fought standing. They went to the ground. They had a really great exchange on the ground. And Big Country showed that he can, he has the tools to make it work. I think it's just getting a, a really solid camp, finding a great team to work with. And I think Big Country still has a lot of, a lot to offer the UFC. One thing that I kind of didn't like, which is something you referenced in in your last article, where the fickle fans, a lot of guys were like, oh, fucking, you know, Big Country's still fat. He's still a bum. And that guy took an ass whooping. You know, he got, yeah. he got, opened, he got opened up like a can opener uh, you know, with the knees from Verdum, and he just kept going. And, yeah, he looked a little winded, but, again, Verdum, while he is a great fighter, didn't knock out. 
you know, big country Nelson. Same thing with uh, Junior Dos Santos when they fought. Those guys, they come in and they threw everything they had at him, and he was still standing. So that's a testament to how tough he is. Yeah, no, no, no knock on his toughness. I just don't. You, you're right. I think he's a really great gatekeeper. If you don't belong in the UFC, he will get you out of there quickly. I, I think that's what his role should be like. In any prospect that's coming up, won a couple fights, throw him in against big country. If they can't be him, they don't. They don't need to be fighting the bigger guys because he he should be that that gatekeeper to the stars. That, that's a good way to put it. He he has the he has the tools definitely. I, like I said, I think it's just that one thing. You know, a lot, a lot of guys they need either a better camp or um, a better dietitian. Frankly, he should he should get uh, Mike Dolce to do his nutrition because you've seen Mike Dolce's cutting up these guys, getting them in shape, getting them ready to get in there. And these guys don't get tired anymore. They got great conditioning. I think Big Country needs that, and he just needs a great camp to work with. And it would really help him. I think he has, while a gatekeeper status is great for him now, I think he he can probably be at least, you know, top five. Mm. Yeah, in the heavyweight division, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in the heavyweight top division, top. yes. The heavyweight. Light heavyweight, not happening. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> all right, let, yeah, let's, get in, let's get into this main event. Of course, um, Condit Diaz interim welterweight title. Winner would go on to meet a returning George St. Pierre. Uh, a lot of buildup for this fight. Um, both guys almost s- very similar stylistically. Both guys like to go in there and stand and trade, except in this fight. And, you know, we all know that Carlos Conda took it by decision, and a lot of people were torn with regards to octagon control and engagement on behalf of Carlos Condit, and even you as a Nick Diaz fan said that Condit fought the smart fight, and he used the tools available to him to secure victory. Based on that, do you think that if Nick Diaz would have pushed the pace just a little bit more, he would have had a better chance of securing the victory? What I'm saying is, instead of get going at, uh, throwing his hands up and clowning him, do you think he should have just engaged a little bit more in the eyes of the judges, especially with, with an asshole like Cecil Peoples in there? Oh, these people. Um, <laughs> um, see, I don't think engagement was a problem. I, I don't think his engagement was an issue. I think he didn't cut off the cage at all. What Nick Diaz likes to do is he, he's been able to do it, so I think he kind of – he didn't always fight the way he fights now. No. I think he has just fallen into the, the assumption that fighters are going to fight his fight now because what the Diaz brothers are so good at is making you fight their fight. Uh, for instance, the Cerrone, uh, the Nathan, uh, Nate Diaz and Cerrone fight. Absolutely. Cerrone, in my opinion, is a way better pure striker than Nate Diaz. Yep. But he was able to make him fight his fight. And I think Diaz has gotten to, because his last, um, his last fight before this, D- Daly, um, Cyborg, Zoromskis, all those guys, they fell into his fight. And, and, excuse me, Condit, came in with an excellent game plan. He was not going to fight Diaz's fight. He was not going to stand there and throw one punch and get hit with 20-punch combos from Diaz. So he moved out, circled, and Diaz, I'm a huge Diaz fan, but sometimes he does really stupid things. And in the fight, he just really wasn't, he wasn't cutting off the cage. He wasn't trying to take him down, because I think if he would have took him down, he would have won that fight. I, I think he would have been able to tap him within, 
I, I won't say relatively quickly because uh, um, Carlos is pretty good on the ground, but I think he would have been able to tap him. I think if he would have cut off the cage and made it use movement, he he just was walking forward, and that's just not going to win you a fight. No, I'm just I, that is not going to win you a fight. I definitely agree with that. The thing that got me though was the fact that in terms when you when judges judge fights, and you've heard this in every UFC broadcast, they say that they judge it based on octagon control, um, you know, striking. Uh, dominant positions, and the thing was, when it comes to octagon control, Diaz was was constantly pressing forward and try and, and pushing the action. Now the thing with Condit is that he started utilizing more of a counterattack style instead of going in there like you were saying and getting goaded into the fight. He fought smart. Now the problem with fighting smart is that it looks great for the judges, but it really pisses off the fans. Do you agree? Yeah, but also, I don't think it, it's... I think fans went into this fight with the assumption that this was going to be an all-out brawl. Yep. And that assumption was... Both Carlos and Nick Diaz both kind of presented themselves that way. But if you watch a Carlos Condit fight... Like, I just watched this fight on at least... Uh, probably like 10 minutes ago, uh, where he fought Don Yon Kim. He fought a, a very similar fight, but me, Don Yon Kim, into oblivion with a flying knee. Yep. That is true. That happened. Anybody else's, it, uh, and I think it was in the fourth round, where Carlos Condit landed, like, um, I think it was a leg kick, one, two, and then a hard head kick. That's if right. That happened, any other any other fighter, he would have went down. That is true. Nick Diaz has an ungodly chin. Carl Daly has probably the, the most powerful weapon in MMA, that left hook. Nick Diaz ate that like it was nothing. So... I think people who assumed that Carlos Condit wasn't was just counterattacking. He was counterattacking, but he was landing hard strikes. They just it was against Nick Diaz. Like that's if he lands that on GSP, if he lands that combination on GSP, I guarantee you GSP is going down. Well, yeah, that, because that, that's it. well, you know GSP's t- chin got tested by Matt Sarah, and I'm a big Matt Sarah fan, but you know Matt Sarah usually doesn't go in there and put guys to sleep, you know, so. For GSP yeah. to eat that and get put on the shelf, it's it's really a testament to how he would fare against a guy like Condit. And I like Nick Diaz, and, and Nick Diaz is a fun fighter to watch, and he makes fights interesting. But the thing with Nick Diaz is that his, he uses his boxing to set up damage and to set up a submission. You really don't see Nick yeah. Diaz knocking out opponents. You see Nick Diaz outstriking opponents, and in terms of outstriking them, he also ends up making them look more damaged in the eyes of the judges. But again, you, when it comes to title fights, you can't leave it in the eyes of, of the judges because you're—it's a recipe for you to get fucked. And that—that's—that's kind of how it went. He had to go in there, like you were yeah. saying, and secure more than one takedown. It had to happen. Yeah, I—I don't—I don't really know. <laughs> Like from 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 reading because I, I they released a transcript from what was being said in Nick Diaz's corner. I don't really know what his game plan was. It's, it's almost seemed like his game plan was just to walk forward, yeah. and that cannot be your game plan. That that that's not a game plan. <laughs> that's walk forward and throw punches. That's not a game plan. And Carlos Condit came in. Greg Jansen came in with an amazing game plan. We are not going to fight Nick Diaz's fight. We're going to make him chase us, and we're going to hit him and hit him more than he hits us. And Carlos was able to do that beautifully. 
So I, I, I think hats off to Carlos for executing an amazing game plan. Well, before we wrap it up, we know that originally we were a, we were going to see a rematch, and a lot of people were questioning the necessity for a rematch because you know Nick Diaz was you know some people felt he was whining for it. Some people said that they gave Carlos Condit a huge uh, cash offer to take the rematch before GSP came back because they wanted um you know they wanted the GSP Diaz fight, so they figured all right we'll make them have a rematch. Condit would lose, you know, on, that's what I'm just saying, you know, speculative. Condit would lose, Diaz would win, GSP Diaz, huge buy rate, but all of that went out the window when a certain, a certain Stockton native tested positive for marijuana metabolites, that being one Nick Diaz. With that said, where do you, where do you see Nick Diaz's career going? Because usually these guys get at least a six to 12 month suspension do you even think that it's worth Car- for Carlos Condit to sit and wait either for GSP or for Diaz, or should he defend that interim title in, in, for the time being? I think he should defend it. I don't think, first of all, I, I think uh, Diaz is probably going to get suspended a year because uh, in 2007 when he fought Gomi, he got suspended suspended for uh, the same thing. Right, and he had a uh, no contest on that fight too. Yeah, which is stupid, but that's weed doesn't make you a better fighter. No, no, <laughs> weed does weed does not make you a better fighter. I do, I do have to agree with that. But you know, it's 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 his second offense now. So you know, yeah. you it, it, any anybody else, Dana White could probably say, look, give him six months, whatever. But you know, the commission does not want to hear that shit. Yeah, he's probably he's, if he doesn't get a year, I'd be surprised. But he's probably going to get a year, and he's probably going to come back and, and get a fight and, and be right back in the title hunt. But I think um, I think Carlos should probably uh, take a fight uh, before GSP because GSP tore his ACL. I know guys that have torn their ACLs. You don't always come back. The same. And you don't want let, – let's say GSP gets in over him. He's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then he gets in training camp and it hurts his leg again. So Carlos is now a year without a paycheck. Like, watching the primetime show, he just had a baby. You know, he's got a family feed. He needs to take a fight. And if if I was him, I, I, if I was the UFC, I would have him fight because I think Jake Ellenberg is going to win next, I think, Wednesday is when they fight. I think Jake, Jake Ellenberg is going to beat the hell out of Diego Sanchez. So I think their fight, their first fight, uh, I think it was in 08, uh, when Carlos Condit and Jake Ellenberg fought, I think a rematch of that fight for the uh, interim title would be great because even if, let's say Carlos loses that fight, you still have a new challenger for GSP, somebody he hasn't fought yet. This is true, but here's here's something where, and this is purely just from the business side of things. While you are yeah. going to get a great fight with Ellenberger and Condit, don't you think that a more marketable and more fan-driven fight would be Condit and Koscheck? Yes, but... <laughs> it it would be, you know? So, it would be, but as far as... First of all, I think Kostak would get embarrassed in that fight. I think since his eye got blown up by GSP, he, even in the Mike Pierce fight, and Mike Pierce is not some world-class striker, you could tell that he does not like getting hit in the face. Yeah, Matt he had a lot Hughes of trepidation in that fight. Face. Yeah, Matt Hughes, when, they, when he fought Matt Hughes, Matt Hughes was hitting combinations. Matt Hughes, like, Matt Hughes... Is not a striker, and Matt Hughes was 
beating up um, Kasich in the first round. So I think he'd lose. I, the only reason I don't think they would do that fight is just because if Kasich wins, he would fight GSP again, and I personally am not excited for that fight. <laughs> I mean, like, the, the two fights they fought, he got dominated. So, you know what I mean? So, Well, look at it this way, too. Uh, Koscheck isn't the same Koscheck that was fighting before, but neither is GSP. That's another thing to look at, too, though. That's true. That's true. Both guys are coming in there. Both guys are coming in there, you know, Walking Dead style, so. (laughs) Yeah, I think, I think, I think if, I really think if, if Ellenberger has a really, like, let's say he goes out and knocks out Diego Sanchez like he knocked out Jake Shields. If he does that, I almost, get, I almost, I can almost 100 percent guarantee that's what the UFC is going to do. Now that, uh, now that, kind of, um, now that Diaz has been popped for weed, so I, I almost, almost 100 percent because Ellenberger was on the title trail regardless after what he did to um, Jake Shields. So, yeah. Well, one thing that that's been that's been bothering me about this whole turn of events is just the fact that GSP has gone on record saying that he was willing to forfeit his belt to fight Nick Diaz. See, and, and you know, hearing something hearing something like that, whether, you know, it, it's it, it's been misconstrued by the press, just shows that MMA is looking to do the big money fights before looking at guys that have earned their place. Because think about it, Condit won this belt, and he's ready to rock yeah. and roll, and he's ready to test himself against GSP and unify those titles. And GSP says, look, I want to relinquish the belt to fight Diaz. Don't you think that if you were Condit, you'd be like, yo, man, what the fuck? First of all, as I was telling you, I'd be pissed. And I'd call DSP on this bullshit. DSP does not... DSP is not giving up that belt unless someone beats him. DSP, from everything I've seen up until all of a sudden when Nick, Nick Diaz said, where you at, George? has always been, oh, the belt is so important. But then when one guy says, with that, even though, like, Koscheck, Sarah, like, almost everybody you fought has insulted you in some way. Like, why all of a sudden are you so angry at Nick Diaz? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That bad. Like, so, I, that's bullshit. But if I was Carlos Condit, I'd be extremely offended because he's been overlooked in this whole thing. In the primetime show, I think it was the second episode, like, more than half the episode was, was for GSP. GSP is not fighting. GSP is in the crowd. He is a spectator because he blew out his knee. So, I don't. He's been passed over a couple times, and I, I, I just think I feel sorry for um, Carlos Condit because I'm a Carlos Condit fan, and I kind of feel sorry for him that he's being kind of put on the back burner to GSP and AD, Nick Diaz, and neither one of these guys is fighting right now. Yeah, it's crazy. I was I was I was dumbfounded when I read that. I'm like, wow, really? They're just not giving him any kind of love and. I just found it to be unfortunate just because, you know, these are guys that they 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 bust their ass and they have so much to prove. And then out of nowhere, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we really care about the money fights. And this is where the whole thing between MMA and boxing and, and how some people are feeling that MMA is starting to go down that path, which I doubt, it really kind of starts to gain a little steam. For MMA to do what boxing does, they they have to blow up the whole system. Like I don't think Dana White would allow it to go that way. But money fights are important because I mean the UFC has to make money. But I think first of all, I think Condit GSP would still be a money fight. No, it wouldn't be as Nick as big as Nick Diaz. But GSP sells pay per views anyway. 
even though he's kind of boring, he still sells pay-per-views. This dude does near a million buys just showing up. So I don't think Nick Diaz really matters that much in this whole thing. And I, I think as Condit, I, I, I take the Ellenberger fight. I beat up Jake Ellenberger. If, if I'm Condit, what I want to do is get a fight before GSP comes back, dominate that fight, and make it known that when GSP comes back, he's, he's coming back to an asshole. And I, I, I want to make it known. And then right there, you have a pay-per-view. I, people I, are going to want to see that. I like that. I can I can definitely rock with that. I think that the the whole that that whole card was surprisingly great from start to finish, but it was also um, a coming out party for a lot of a lot of great fighters. Like I said, for Verdum, um, even for Pierce to an extent, and um, you know yeah. Henan Barrow, a lot of great guys in there. The uh, bonuses that got handed out, Verdum and Roy Nelson got fight of the night. Uh, Dustin Poirier got submission, and Stephen Thompson got knockout. But the other you thing, see that Stephen Thompson knockout? It, it was it was vicious, man. I was like, holy shit, that guy's dead. You know, you you see you see a <laughs> knockout like that, and the head kick was so vicious that the guy's head almost felt like it spent like it spun around on a swivel. That was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was that was a beautiful kick. The other, the other thing I wanted to ask you, how to and and to wrap the, to wrap this up, how did you feel about the what went down with Bruce Leroy and Edwin Figueroa? I first, I think Edwin Figueroa hammed those he bullshit the hell out of the rough. You're wearing a cup. I've been kicked in the balls while wearing a cup before. It hurts, but it's not enough for you to roll around on the ground like your testicles are going on a journey. Like, it's your torso. Like, that's not necessary. And even then, even if you take those two punches away, Bruce Leroy won every single round. So I don't see how he even still, because let's say you, you, you take away the um, the second round. So uh, theoretically, theoretically, that should be a 9-8 round. But Bruce Leroy would have 8. The first round should have been 10-9. The third round should have been 10-9. So you still have Bruce Leroy winning the fight. So that doesn't even make sense to me how, how Bruce Lee Alistair lost that fight. He won every single round. He got back control every single round. He wasn't able to choke him out, but he got back control every single round. So I, I just don't understand how he lost that fight. Yeah, I was I was I felt that the guy milked it a little bit only because I I'd have to say at least eighty percent of the guys that get kicked in the groin, even if it's twice. These are guys that, you know, give them their five minutes, maybe three minutes, and they're ready to go. So unless unless you got kicked to the point where your testicle went inside your body, which has happened, I really was yeah. shocked that it went the way it went. Yeah. And I think especially the second one, I think the first one, he, he might not have been, you know, faking. The second one, I think when Herb Dean came over and said, yeah, I'm going to take a point away, I think he really, really kind of, okay, well, he's going to take a point away. I'm losing. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me make this look a little bit worse than it is. Let me roll around a little bit. Like, I, I think that's what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate, man. I, fe- I feel bad for Bruce Leroy because, you know, he's one of those guys that's kind of on the bubble right now. I, I don't think he'll be cut, though. Um, I, I, I don't think... Just because cause the way Dana White, um, they interviewed Dana White afterwards um, on uh, Fuel, and he, he kind of, you you could tell from the way he was talking about it, I don't think he, he's going to cut him for this. Now, if he loses another fight, he's getting cut. But 
I think this fight they're going to kind of move away from it, kind of like it's not a win, but they're not going to cut him for this because clearly he won the fight. There was no way any sane person, and, and surprisingly, Cecil Peoples actually scored the fight for uh, Bruce Lee Roy. <laughs> surprisingly. Well, yeah, well. I think there really needs, and, and and it's funny you bring up Cecil Peoples because whenever he's involved, and and most times it, it concerns me, especially when it comes to championship fights. I think that judging in MMA, there needs to be a, a better system in place, and I feel that the the same judges, while some of them are well versed in it, you kind of need to start getting um, ex fighters and maybe even coaches involved in some sort of a of a training program for these judges because there's certain aspects of the fight game where the judges score a certain round and you know you got to sit back and be like wait a minute what the hell is going on yeah i think slowly we're moving towards that cuz like guys like Ricardo Almeida is kind of going into judging like we're slowly moving to as some of these fighters get older and, and move out of the sport like i can see Randy Couture judging i don't know so much about Chuck Liddell judging but I can see Randy Couture judging, I, I, judging or refing. So I think slowly as these guys kind of matriculate out of the sport and move into the next chapter of their lives, I think they'll go into judging and 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 refing and those kind of things. So I think I think because the sport is still in its infancy, the sport is no more than 20 years old. It's still in its infancy, and I think as we get farther along, we'll get better judging and refing. We're, we're, right now, there are problems, but it's, it's, it'll get better. <laughs> All right, man. Well. Uh, my guest is here, Ben. Thanks for coming on, and we will uh, link up during these next two weeks to do some MMA stuff. Okay. All right, brother. Thanks for calling. All right. See ya. All right. Slick just informed me that our guest is here. I'm going to bring him in. DDP, what's going on? <laughs> I was just listening to your guys' little talk there, and uh, I think it would be outstanding if, you know, Randy was to become a judge. You know, if you had some of the boys, so to speak, in the judges' panel, because you never even see those people. You have no idea who they are, and I'm sure they're credible, you know, but, you know, sometimes you got to really question, <laughs> you know, you got to wonder, you know, I know people really study the game, and uh, I'm still in its infancy as far as, you know, learning about MMA. I love it. But, uh, you know, I um, I would like to have, you know, the actual fighters, because they know what punches landed better than any judge ever could know. <laughs> you know, they know what submissions are going to, you know, you know, the takedown and how they roll out of the takedown and everything and take the other guy, take control. Uh, I don't think anybody knows it better than, you know, the guys who actually did it. No, I, I agree 100%. And uh, it's funny. It's funny. You came in right away on the ball with that. And it's true. I think that no better judges exist than your peers that are able to, you know, objectively look at fights and, and know what's going on. Absolutely. All right. Well, of course, um, joining me, that, that, that wasn't the intro I was looking for, but joining me, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, <laughs> finder of, well, founder of originally Yoga for Regular Guys, now uh, DDP Yoga. So, of course, for those that don't know, former WCW champion, WWE tag team champion as well, author, entrepreneur. You've done so much since not being on television. Let, let's get into let, let's get into the big thing first. Of course, uh, DDP Yoga originally was yoga for regular guys. What got you started in yoga? I've read countless articles, of course, but I, I'd like to hear it 
you know, straight from the horse's mouth. What got you motivated into yoga initially versus any other recovery program for injuries? Well, you know, it's funny because it, I have to put this out there because we have a male predominant audience without question. And I am one of you guys because first 42 years of my life, I'm a guy who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. You know, I'm from the Jersey Shore and uh, not the shore, you know, Snooky hangs out with, but you know I, I'm a, I'm a local who grew up there on the shore. Springsteen, Bon Jovi, Bam Bam Bigelow, Danny DeVito, Jack Nicholson all come from my county. <laughs> you know that's a, a pretty good tribe that you know to come up from. And we don't do yoga, um, but you know yoga has changed in so many ways. Um, like I said, I'm a guy who wouldn't be quite dead doing it, but I didn't start wrestling until I was 35. My career didn't take off till I was 40. That was 1996. 97 and 98, even if you didn't like wrestling, you were watching because it was electric hot. It was, you know, it was the Monday Night Wars were going on, and Diamond Dallas Page, I was at the top of my game. And then I ruptured my L4 and L5. And what a lot of people don't know, that from 90, when I started wrestling at 35, right up till I was 42, I was making lousy money and uh you know it was decent the last two years but nothing compared to the seven figures that i was headlining main events with whether it be savage or goldberg or whoever you know i was uh, hulk hogan i was getting a smidgen of what those guys were getting because we had guaranteed contracts um i finally signed a multi-million dollar deal and then I blew out my L4 and L5, wow. and uh, I was pretty—I was pretty depressed, <laughs> you know. So, you really, would you try yoga if you uh, if you thought it would help you and get you back in the ring? Oh, absolutely! I mean, when you get to a point where you know your your body is what is what bring what cashes the checks, you get into that frame of mind where you want to do anything possible to get back in there. Exactly. So now. I was married at the time, you know, Kimberly, everybody, you know, guys, that really your wife? Yeah, it was for 13 years and we're still best friends. But, uh, you know, she was like, come on, Paige, you got to try yoga to heal your body. I'm like, F that, I'm not doing that. You know, I actually got quoted in the Wall Street Journal when I wrote the book, Yoga for Regular Guys, that Rob Zombie actually wrote the forward to that started out saying, yoga, give me an effing break, you know, and then he really put over YRG because, that's how I got the role in Devil's Rejects, teaching Rob my YRG workout, which is under the umbrella of the DDP yoga, you know, workouts that I do. And that's how I got the role with Billy Ray Snapper. So back to where Kim's trying to talk me into doing it, I'm like, I'm not doing that. And a couple of days go by, and she's coming up. She's soaking wet. She's working out. She's got the room really hot. She's doing it. She's like pleading with me. You know, you're not a guy who turns down anything. You try everything. Why are you so stuck on this? And finally, I just, you know, said, all right, let's do it. I went down there. I couldn't do any of the moves. I fell down a lot. My body was killing me. Everybody was like a stick figure. I'm thinking, where's the normal people? You know, so I, I figured I had to modify a bunch of the moves. And uh, within three weeks, I got to tell you, bro, I, I felt a significant difference. So, what I did was I would start to take the rehab moves and mix them with some of these yoga moves that were amazing. And then I started adding old school calisthenics, push-ups, squats, crunches, done with a slow burn motion movement. And what I found out 
if I engage my muscles, you know your biggest muscles are your quads and your glutes, right? Right. So when you flex your quads and flex your glutes, and imagine yourself picking up 45, 55, 60-pound dumbbells, and now curl, three, two, one, and hold it there and squeeze. Now push with your tries, three, two, one. Every time you engage a muscle, your heart has to beat faster to get the blood to the muscle. Now I'm wearing a heart monitor the whole time I'm doing this. I'm calling in the beginning yoga for normal people. <laughs> and I found that the more I engaged the muscle, the harder my heart had to beat, the faster it had to beat to get the blood to the muscle. Before I knew it, in less than three months, I was back in the ring. I created a workout that was zero impact on your body as opposed to weightlifting, as opposed to running. Major impact on your body when you're running. If you're over 30 years old, 35 years old, and you're running, you're doing major damage long-term to your body. And everybody, in the, you just got done with the MMA guys. We go in the restaurant. Everybody beats the hell out of their body. How many guys go into a fight ready, you know, to, you know, 100%? Nobody. Nope. I mean, nobody everybody, does. I mean, nobody. And a lot of them get knocked out, like George St. Pierre, Silva. I mean, these guys get knocked out left and right because they train so hard. What I in professional wrestling, people can say what they want about it, love it or hate it. You can't fake gravity. No, so you I can't. Work- you can't. <laughs> you know, I developed a workout that was zero impact on my body. Kick-ass cardio. It dramatically increased my flexibility and still does every day. And core strength conditioning. In less than three months, I was back in the ring after three doctors told me my career was over. At 42, they said I was done. At 43, I was the world champ. Now, are you going to keep doing that workout? You bet your ass. <laughs> you know, and I started to share it with guys. Um, you've seen Chris Jericho recently, right? Yeah, I saw I saw the video of that. He he came back from, from an injury, and he was injured from Dancing with the Stars, I remember. Because he had mentioned that he had some nagging injuries, and he got he hooked up with you, and you got him back in there quick, fast, and he looks I, in tremendous I shape now. I couldn't be any prouder, you know. I mean, to be able to help one of the boys, and you know, it's a big deal in my business when one of the guys says I'm doing his workout. That's a big deal because they've been know I've been doing this workout for over twelve years, and but it took Chris being hurt, a herniated L four. In monster pain. And well, what, dancing with the stars is what finally blew him out, but that's not where he hurt himself. <laughs> Chris has been wrestling for 21 years. <laughs> He's been wrestling since he was 18. So really on and off for 23 years. And you can't fake gravity. So he thought he was done. When I saw that HPK, you know, Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels, he's the first guy to ever do my workout. He told people, but he wasn't as vocal as, as Chris has been. I'm really thankful that Chris has been so vocal. But, you know, HPK has told everybody about it. And he told them, you got a problem with your back. You need to do Paige's workout, man. He goes, it really helps. So, you know, eventually I called Chris, and I sent him the, uh, the video of the disabled veteran that's on ddpyoga.com. Have you seen that video? Yeah, that, that, that video, while having Chris be do the testimonial for you is great, you know, from a business standpoint, you, you know, Arthur's video is just amazing to see because he had so many other factors 
hindering him in, in, in his life that to, to have such a substantial change was amazing. So I got to commend you for that, man. When I saw this guy go from, you know, walking, and if you go to Diamond, not even Diamond Dallas page, but if you go to ddpyoga.com on the front page, you'll see the testimony from Chris, but you'll also see, you know, the video that inspired him to do DDP yoga. Uh, and it is one of those things that when he started doing it, uh, Arthur, he would fall down left and right. He, you know, he, he videoed everything. And if I knew what our YouTube was back then, I didn't even know what YouTube was. Yeah, but this guy was videoing his workout and putting it up there. All those things are up, still up there on, on, on YouTube, where you can see this guy go from almost 300 pounds, walking around with knee braces, and strapped into a back brace, and walking on canes for over 15 years. And on the nine months on the video, you'll see him lose 130 pounds in nine months and go from walking on canes to running. And when I saw that the first time, man, I got teared up, man. I was like, tears coming out of my eyes. I wasn't crying, but I was choked up. And I was like, wow, look at this guy is done. You know, I, I, I directed him. I didn't. I only worked out with him once over that period. It's pretty crazy, man. Wow! Out of out of all that out of all that time that he put in, you you and him only only linked up once. That's that's amazing in and of itself because it takes incredible discipline to for him to maintain that. You know, I mean, usually working with a coach, you have that extra set of that extra set of hands to guide you. But that that's that's amazing. One one of the things that I do, and, and I have a site. It all this comes for free afterwards. Once you bought the program, I'm still there. I'm still there with anyone who puts the work in. I've got this site I set up called Team DDP Yoga. And anybody can go there. And it doesn't cost anything. Just go there, register, watch how many people come by and welcome you. Because when I first talk to somebody, when I see they are losing weight, when I see that they've got the work ethic, nine times out of ten, I send them a message, send me your phone number. And I call them because I, I realize that if You've worked this hard. If I just give you this next set of inspiration and teach you how to focus in on that goal that you have and let you know that it ain't just you out there, Team DDP Yoga, they help each other. And the whole feeling of that site is if I help you, then you help others because you've already put the workouts in. So now I want to see you really succeed. And it's a, it's a labor of love. I love what I'm doing. I, you know, I do it for nothing, and I do. I've been this thing over the last 10 years, and now it's starting to take off. But I ain't making no money. I'm paying a lot of people to work for me, and eventually it will be P90X. And that's a bold statement, but I know that it will be because this workout, you can do the rest of your life. over a long period of time. You can't do insanity because at some point your knees, your back, your ankles are going to turn on you for beating them up so bad. Yeah. I, because both of those workouts are super high intensity. Well, Major impact. Not good. No, no. What I was, was going to say was I've, you know, I, I've done powerlifting since I was 16 I'm now 31, and you know, as as time catches up with you, you get those little nagging injuries 
that never really go away. So then what you start doing is finding new and, and different ways to train to baby those injuries. So your program, to, to say it can replace P90X, I believe that statement only because you can get stronger and you can get bigger, but eventually time's going to catch up with you. And you're not going to recover as fast. And you're not going to be able to train around all those nagging injuries. You're absolutely right. Now, Deb, you've seen the video. And the the reason I clip these videos is because videos don't lie. Nope. (laughs) Pictures you can smudge and do, you know, you can do the friggin' whatever the fuck it's called. You know, uh, you you make the person find or skinny. Oh, yeah, Photoshop. You can Photoshop it. Right. You can't do that with a video. You know, so that's why I show videos up there. And when someone says something, you could hear it in print, but unless you actually see them say it, like Chris Jericho said, DDP yoga changed my life. You know, I mean, like, I almost fell over. I was holding the camera. Oh, I didn't expect that to come out of his mouth because I just wanted, I just wanted to say, well, it's a great workout and I feel much better. You know, I, anything that Chris would have said was, was a huge, you know, thing to me, you know, but then he said what he said, you know, and it's, 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 it's really, funny because he did his little Jerichoism at the end with having fun with the people, you know, and making them laugh too. You know, it's awesome, you know, tribute. Um, but the video that's under that is how DDP overcame his injuries. Did you see that video? I saw most of it. I, that I actually saw that right before we went on air, but the I, well, DDP go ahead. yoga, I show my neck, which is, Really bad. <laughs> I showed it to Austin last time. We watched the, the fights, uh, UFC fights uh, uh, the other night. <laughs> and I was saying, dude, take a look at my neck. Cause I had an x-ray recently. He goes, oh, my God. <laughs> now, there's a guy with a broke neck. That would be, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, you know, the neck, I show what a, a, a real neck, a healthy neck looks like. I, I show what my back looks like, what, what a healthy back looks like. Then I talk about my both torn rotator cuffs in both my shoulders, meniscus tears in both my knees, cartilage, ACL tears. Uh, you know, and, and then I show the abuse that I put my body through from 42 to 46. Oh, yeah, I just saw that. And then I show. <laughs> I just saw that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, because I haven't, I haven't playing I, minimized. I, and I show what I, where I'm not in. And the stuff I'm doing today, the stuff that I'm doing today shows how crazy strong I am for, you know, I, I can't, I was weightlifting, which I don't touch weights anymore. Maybe once every couple of months I go into gym, see how I feel. I'm pretty much the same as when I stopped 10 or well, nine years ago. It's been about nine or eight or nine years now. And I'm pretty much right where I was when I, when I, when I finished up lifting. And um, the thing is, because everything I'm doing is body to body. But if I was still lifting and benching and all that, my weights would be down, down, down. They just keep they would just keep going down because I'm breaking it up and breaking it up, and I'm 55, you know. But with what I'm doing with DDP yoga, I'm doing stuff where I lower for 10 seconds in a push up. When I get three and stuff the ground, I kick my feet up in the air and I do a deep my feet in the air. And you know, I move about four inches up and down. Then I come down, hold for 10, and come up for 10. I do. Yeah, I'm doing like eight of those right now. Not with the feet up. I can only do that once. But after that, hold it down. I can do eight, ten second push ups. Try one. You know? But these are the things I'm trying to prove a point that if as beat up as I am, if I can be this flexible and this strong, what can you do? Well you've you've thirty one. Well, you've been doing it 
also with the military. You've been doing it with with other wrestlers. So I I definitely see the see the merit in that. And and the question I had for you with regards to that is how has it been implementing DDP yoga with you know the armed forces and you know pitching it even pitching it to you know the the wrestling promotions as just a way to condition their athletes better to prevent injury. So, you know, it's Chris, Chris Jericho has been the biggest supporter, again, with Vince and everything. And I think at some point, because right now Taz is doing it, Kane, Santino, um, guys who have been retired, Mark Merrow, I mean, totally changed him completely, uh, Glacier, Perry Saturn. So now I'm getting the guys, the groundswell of guys that are feeling so much better and pain-free because we're all in pain. But one of the guys who I just loved working out with you, you just got that was your MMA show, Josh Barnett. And we worked out for an hour, and he loved the work. And I got a three-minute video of him because he just kept talking. And uh, he made just so much sense of why this awesome workout for guys who condition themselves to fight you know, mixed martial arts. Because so much of what they do is high impact from striking to hitting the bag to, you know, to grappling, to weightlifting, to the tires, to the ropes. <laughs> it's everything they do, you know. So why not go the other way and for an hour work on your flexibility, your core strength, and your cardio? Because my workout is kick-ass cardio, again, with zero impact. So he totally got it. He was a puddle of sweat. I had none. <laughs> but I'm conditioned differently to him. If we were in the ring, if we were in the square circle, he'd be sweating and I'd be a pole of sweat. <laughs> you know, but, I, but I sure as hell don't want to get in that damn cage with him unless we're professional wrestling and I'd have to be way younger. <laughs> yeah, that's how bitch can go. <laughs> well, you know, jo- Josh Barnett, it's, it, it's funny that you referenced him because he's a guy that is a, a great example of just the the parallels between professional wrestling and catch wrestling, but also mixed martial arts. So to see him be an advocate of your program is is not only great to see, but it's refreshing given the fact that he he's an athlete that's conditioned basically in three different styles. He has the the showmanship and flash of professional wrestling, the grit of catch wrestling, but also mixed martial arts. So to see him, you know, embrace your program that's that's great to hear. Uh, and it was, he went on and on. <laughs> Chris took me a minute. He did like three. I was like, wow, like, that was awesome. So I, I haven't put that up yet, but, uh, but I'm going to. And, uh, you know, even when I worked out with Tito, you know, Tito, was, I, and Tito had just got done with his back operation. And really, any of the guys, and I don't care who they are, if they're, you know, if they fight at 170, you know they walk at 200. Yep. You know? So any one of those guys that are walking around at 200, they can't hang with the 55-year-old man. Not if I turn it up and try to get you to do what I'm doing. And I really don't want to do that. I just want to show them how far I can go. Because, again, if I can do this, these are some of the greatest athletes in the world that make it to the UFC, without question, who make it to strike force, the greatest athletes in the world. If the old man can smoke them, they're only as strong as what? Their weakest link. That's right. So if, if I can smoke them, if they start doing the program the way I'm doing it, what could they do? And I'm talking to a lot of guys out there that are, 
because I know the MMA, a lot of the MMA crowd sticks around for the wrestling part because it, it really is, it's really funny, as you know, because some of the MMA guys love wrestling. A lot of fighters grew up loving wrestling, and then there's people who hate it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> my, fan base, my fan base is extremely torn when it comes to that, so I, I can agree with that 110%. <laughs> <laughs> and that's cool, you know. I don't, people who don't understand wrestling, I get it. You know, you just you, you don't get it because wrestling is its own art form. I mean, think about this: when you go out there, and some of the guys who get booed, I mean, it, it pisses me off because they just went out there and just you know broke their ass, you know, in a fight, in a you know, fight in the UFC. And people are booing them. It's like, how can you boo that guy? He just he just won the fight. Whether it was questionable or not, they had a hell of a fight. It goes down to the question mark, as you know. And they left it in the judges' hands. You know, but when it comes to wrestling, you know, when the UFC goes out there, they, they win or lose. End of discussion. In, in WWE or TNA or wherever you're wrestling, WCW, we know that the fans know. And the fans know that we know who's going to walk out there in front of 20,000 people. We both know who's going to win. That's right. Well, how do you make those people care? You make them care because you grab their emotions. Because for that moment in time, you made them believe. Like people used to say to me all the time, you know, I know wrestling's wrestling and there's a lot of fake stuff and blah, blah, blah. Now he's going to fake the strong word, man. <laughs> you know, fix is a whole other animal. You go, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know, I know, DP, but I know that this is, you know, BS and that's BS, but that stuff with you and Savage, I know you guys hated each other. I didn't people <laughs> tell me in detail how much I hated Savage and why I did and how he how much he hated me. We loved each other. <laughs> I mean, without Randy Savage, well, Eric Bischoff couldn't have walked up to Randy Savage and say, Randy, I'd like you to put Paige over. <laughs> he wasn't written in his contract. He decided whether he was going to win or lose and how he was going to do it. So when I went over Randy Savage at Spring Stampede, that wasn't my call. That wasn't Eric Bischoff's call. That wasn't the Booker's call. That was Randy Savage's call. That's amazing. It was, it was, I'll tell you how it happened, too. We had already had, he knew I was hot as hell with a diamond cutter. He knew I had the people because I turned on Kevin and Scott and, you know, all of that. And those guys, without those guys helping me there, it never happened. But then again, I created Scott Hall's whole look. I got him in WCW at the Diamond Stud. That was the beginning of what Razor Ramon would be. And Scott never forgot that. And Kevin and I used to tag team together. And he was so pissed that we were getting so screwed around and that they were cutting his money and cutting his money and cutting his money. He was going to quit and go back in the bar business. And I talked him out of it. I was like, Kev, don't do it. Don't let them beat you. You're going to be a huge star. And I'll be damned if he wasn't. And he's still out there at 52 years old, you know, filling in a main event spot if he needed to. You know, so, you know, I guess I was right about that. But so was he. And those guys helped me at a point in time when nobody was going to help me. And then after that, Randy stepped up. And so, you know, we're in the angle. We're the weekend out, it's like a Thursday night, and we're in Florence, South Carolina. It was Friday night. And yeah, Saturday, we were going to go to the pay-per-view. We didn't wrestle that night. And Sunday was a pay-per-view uh, in um, wherever we were uh, for Spring Stampede. And we go out there. We're in Florence. We're back in the locker room. And Arn Anderson walks back there. And he goes, well, Randy, he goes, what do you want to do tonight? <laughs> he and Savage we're both putting on our boots right you know and I hear Savage go no I think they want to take the diamond cutter and he went right <laughs> back to lace up his boots <laughs> and Arn Anderson was 
he almost fell over, bro. And he looked at me and he goes, Tommy, do you realize what an honor this is? And I looked at him like, uh, yeah, Arn, I do. So we go out there. We had a so, so amazing. He got me over like a son of a bitch. And he shut me down. He got some monster heat on me. And he would be so savage at times. I mean, he was so stiff. Oh, my God. At times, other times I could barely feel him. So we get to the end. I blow a comeback. He shuts me down, flips me around, slams me, looks around at the people, goes and slams me again. I turn into a diamond cutter, and the roof blew off. Oh, man. That were, that were both laying there, and that place blew. Because the move was so over at the time, and we both just laid there. Randy's looking up at the skylights, you know. I'm on my stomach. And the place and the rumbling and the whole thing, you know, the building will start when they start kicking their feet and stuff. And this has only hold like eight, seven, eight thousand people in Florence, South Carolina. But the building was rumbling and whoa, and they're banging their feet and they're chopping their chairs and the place is going crazy. I just moved, 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 laid my arm across them. The left slid down and the entire building go five, two, three. And it was like a moment like, oh my God, he beat him. And then the place exploded. Now, on all the insanity and all the noise, it all of a sudden becomes really quiet in my head because I hear Savage go, well, I guess we got our finish for Spring Stampede. <laughs> oh, man. That's that's an amazing was- story. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a mark for, I'm a mark for Randy Savage ever since I was a boy. So, you know, I, <laughs> but, but I do, I, I have to tell you though, uh, you know, your, your program with Savage was one of my favorites, but the, the I really just like the, the work you did with, um, you know, with the late Bam Bam Bigelow and with the late Chris Canyon. I think that was one of, one of the best stables at the time when I was growing up. Cause it just seemed you guys had such natural chemistry and I really enjoyed that because you could, you could really see when guys are boys behind the scenes. And it really showed when you guys worked together. It was it was so awesome, man. So I wanted to just throw that out there and let you know that I enjoyed that that angle with you guys. Two of my you know my late great brothers, uh, Bam Bam. I know since, since he was sixteen, man. You know, Holy shit. I was like twenty two. He was sixteen. You know, but he was he he was legendary in our area by the time he was fifteen, man. I mean, he was a bad, I mean, he was running with the breed by the time he was 17, you know, biker gang. You know, Bam Bam went down to uh, to Resorts International in Atlantic City and did an a, a arm wrestling competition. And he ended up with this guy in the finals who was 6'8 and 4'68. Jesus Christ. And Bam, Bam's like three at the time, maybe. Me, moon, moon, 400, no, 390. Wow. Bam, but he was younger. It wasn't fat on him, man. He was just big all over and doing, you know, the crazy cartwheels, all the athletic stuff he could do. I mean, he was an amazing big man. And, you know, he beat that guy, you know. And uh, next thing I know, because we used to talk about wrestling all the time, he was, he was down in, um, he was down in, uh, someplace down in Texas. I caught him on a late night cable thing. I was like, oh my God, he made it. And then when he went up there and worked in New York and was, you know, one of, you know, Joe Hogan's guys, I was like, oh, my God, what a push. And I thought, 
he was he was great to work with and finally actually get in the ring and become world champions. And Chris Canyon, you know, he's one of my very, very good friends. Uh, you know, and I wasn't surprised when he killed himself, you know, because he could you know, he would embrace the negative so much. But when he was back and he was working, he was one of the best guys I ever wrestled with. I mean, he was, he was an amazing technician in the ring. So uh getting to work with both those guys is huge to me. I did I did wanna ask, um, I know that you are, you know, you're promoting DDP Yoga. Uh, one of the things I know that that they that they told me you wanted to do was for for those people, and I wanted to remind our listeners that pick up DDP Yoga. They are they'd actually be uh, if they enter DDP Bang, they'd actually be eligible to get a call from you. Yeah, I do that. <laughs> I don't do it all the time. But occasionally I'll do it on a, you know, on a show, uh, and I single out like this show because, uh, you know, I've done a couple today, um, and sales have been amazing, and the whole Twitter thing has been sick. You know, we do a lot of promotions off of Twitter. If you go to Real DDP, which is me, the Real DDP, um, and, uh, or at DDP Yoga, a lot of people go on there and they ask me questions, I answer them all. It may take me a couple hours, four, five, six, ten hours to get back to you, but I will go back. If you ask it, uh, a credible question, especially about DDP yoga, I'm going to answer it. Um, and uh, that's from all over the world. But occasionally we'll do a promotion where if you put in, is it DDP yoga bang tonight? Is that the... Uh, yeah, DDP bang. The, uh, yeah, if you put in DDP bang, you know, in the next 24 hours, you know, you get the program, you decide to go by, check out ddpyoga.com, and you, you check out Jericho's thing. We talked about the disabled fetching, you check that out, you check out you know, how uh, how I've overcome all my injuries, and, and you check that video out, you might even want to go to where it says the workouts. And the workouts has a breakdown of every workout that I do, and I show a trailer on each one of them. So you say, well, God, can I do that? Or is that going to be too blah, blah, blah for me? I developed DDP yoga for people who wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. Like me. <laughs> you know, and you know, so that's what I, I explained to guys who it takes you know, guys a little while. You know, I can't remember David Frost. I can't remember what Frost said it. Uh, the, the writer who said he took the path less traveled. I've been doing that my whole life, but in this scenario, there was no path. I nope. mean, I'm not selling this to yogis. I came up to a really dense forest and I got out my bulldozer and I started making my own path. And that takes a lot of balls to do that, especially when you're putting your own money in. I don't use other people's money. I use my own. It's something because I know what this is going to be. And I made my own path for people who needed the, they needed to do some kind of workout that was yoga inspired, but didn't want to go to all the mumbo jumbo spiritual. I always say yoga is very namaste. DDP yoga. Way more TNA, you know, and tone and attitude, but love the, you know. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that the approach that you're using to to promote this is good because you're not. While there is still, you know, a spiritual element to it, I think the best part is that you're letting people know that it's something that's easily approachable. It's it's almost like you're you're bringing it down a level to where the the layman can pick it up and not feel overwhelmed in doing it. 
Absolutely. You know, because I, you know, I, I was threatened coming into it. But once I realized, hmm, this guy will do it, and that guy will do it. I mean, I'm really, this is really great. Uh, Chris Hoven used to be a nose guard for Tampa Bay back when they won um, the World Series, uh, World Series, World Championships. Derek Brooks, uh, living time all pro linebacker, did my work out the last five years of his career. At 35, he was all pro when he retired. But Hoven was the nose guard at the time. He just called uh, Brooks the other day, and Brooks and I talk all the time. And uh, he said, Hoven wants to get a hold of you because he's now working with a strength coach at USF, and they want to bring you in. So I got on the phone with him, talked to him. It looks like that they, uh, they're going to bring me in for a week in May, June, and July to work with the team because they know – and Chris from firsthand can know this ain't like decent. This ain't like no yoga I ever did before. <laughs> so that's because it's not yoga, dude. It's YRG. And the reason why I changed the name to DDP Yoga because so many people go, well, what's YRG stand for? They go, yoga for regular guys. And then they go, well, can girls do it too? It's like, ah. oh, God. <laughs> right. So, yeah, they can do it. Anyone can do it. So, you know, and I didn't want to change it to yoga for normal people. So I just kept the YRG part. But I also developed a workout I called DDP Extreme psycho workout and that's the workout that i do probably once or twice a week and it's intense that's what we can look at a video how ddp overcame his injuries and i'm showing all the crazy shit that i do i'm 55 years young that's from that video and i'm showing stuff that i do you know that you know <laughs> normal 25 year old guys who are strong as hell can't even think about doing Oh no! I saw I saw the hip opener in, in the video when I watched it earlier today, and I said, "Hell no! I would fall yeah. on my yeah. ass immediately." <laughs> the things at your at your age, or at thirty five or forty five, I couldn't do either. I'm all about breaking up scar tissue, and that's what you're starting to really feel at thirty one. Where do you get to thirty five, forty, forty five? This will be your workout. No question. But in the way I see it, except for the guys whose egos are too big, I get every single one of them at some point when this explodes. Because, you know, you look at something like, you know, P90X, I'm going to say something else about it. You know, they, they have a yoga workout in it. It's 90 minutes. 90 minutes? I rarely do 90 minutes. Yikes, that's not good. 25 minutes. 25 minutes to start you off. But you know what? 25 minutes is going to blow you up. I don't want you to be threatened by it. Like when I worked out with Josh, Josh Barnett, I only took him through about a total, like a level five on a one to 10. He was a pool of sweat. I didn't want him to think this is too hard. I don't want to do this. I wanted him to be challenged by it. And he was. Yeah. You didn't want to break him right away. <laughs> no, God, I used to do that because people thought, you know, your yoga workout's going to be for pussies. I go, really? I'll okay. smoke. Yeah. So I had to check my ego out. <laughs> no, no, it's not about you, DDP. It's about them. It's about inspiring them to go, wow, look how much more flexible I am after one workout. It's about breaking up rust when you're younger. It breaks up earlier. Does that make sense? No, I, I, I can see that. So, you know, it's all about then about repetition. People will say, well, how often do I have to do it? I go, well, what do you want? You know, the guy who wanted to walk again because he was walking around with canes and knee braces and a back brace for 15 years, 
He wanted to walk again. So he did it five days a week, then went to seven days a week, then went to seven mornings a week, built Oof. up to an hour and five nights a week. Holy cow. Hey, it, it's been five years, bro. Five years. Now he does he does probably about probably about ten hours of practice a week. Because he teaches, he teaches about ten. So you, when you teach it, you do it. Uh, at ten hours a week, he's doing things that I can't do. He's fifty-two. I mean, he's he's such a warrior. You know, five six, one hundred fifty-seven, the same weight he was five, you know, four and a half years ago. Same weight. Same. He, he but he keeps getting stronger and more flexible and deeper in his positions. So you know, there, there is no. In this scenario, yeah, there's for no... some reason. Good, but it, you know, it, it's about holding back the hands of time. No, I think I think that the that the way it's structured and the way you got it set up is is a recipe for success, you know. And I and I commend you for taking something that you were so apprehensive about and not only taking it to another level, but helping to bring in others that felt the same way you did. I think that the best testament to the effectiveness of the program is just you. Cause you can say, Hey, you know, I, I really thought that this, this wouldn't work when I first started and look at me now, you know, I'm flexible. I'm in the best shape of my life. I mean, Jericho actually said that because it's not cliche. It's the truth. And he looks, but he actually looks like that. <laughs> and he looks younger, which is crazy. When he came back, I, I saw him on television. I'm like, holy shit, he looks younger. The the the, the previous run before this one, I felt he looked a little, you know, he was a, he, I, like a little more beat up. Now he looks fresh, oh, he energized. Was. He was beat up. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was bad. But now he's 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 doing great. And I know that you. You know, a lot of people ask you, and, and, and it's cliche that you're coming back, and I know you're not because you're cementing a brand new legacy, but the best part of all this is that you've basically taken this and, and become an entrepreneur to the point where this is your life's blood. Because I, I can imagine that between the site and answering all the questions and promoting it, it it's become your full-time job. So the possibility of even you, you know, in coming back to wrestling and just putting your body out there on the line is, is definitely out the window. No, it's out the window. You know, it, you know, I'll tell you when it will come back in the window because I am only 55 years young. <laughs> <laughs> It'll come back in the window when I blow this up huge and Vincent McMahon gives me a call himself and says, DDP, we got something here for you. Are you interested? What is it? <laughs> you know, because I've already, I've already done my run. I had an amazing journey, man. I lived the dream at a completely different level. No one has ever come into the business at 31 years old as a manager, you know, worked for the AWA, Florida Championship Referee, the color commentator with Gordon Soley, goes into WCW as a manager and a color commentator, and then at 35 becomes a wrestler, you know, at 40 years old the career blew up and then at 43 to be the oldest world champion first time world champion ever these are these are things that i lost the title and won the title on the same night there were so many things that happened during my career that were just amazing you know I, i've said this a thousand times i'll never be that bitter wrestler i'll never be that guy who said oh it should have been this these guys the money they're making today it's like god bless them 
I'm happy for them. Let's say I'm, I had I made a great business. I could make great money. I, I I saved a lot of my money. I invested it in me and did yoga because I know that at some point, and I go to do my other interview right now, but at some point, DDP yoga is going to take Diamond Dallas Page to a completely different level that it's it's going to dwarf what I did in the 90s, and that's a bold statement. <laughs> well, it you know, we'll definitely be looking out for it, and by all means, Paige, if you, know, you ever want to come back and you got stuff to promote with DDP yoga and taking it to the next level, by all means, you got an open door to come back. And as you mentioned, the fans can follow you at Real DDP, and they can also follow you follow you at DDP Yoga with questions about uh, the program. And last but not least, if you order DDP Yoga uh, within the next 24 hours and enter DDP Bang, you'll be eligible to get a call from the man himself, Diamond Dallas Page. Anything else you want to add, my friend? And I'll personally be making that phone call because I do, and every time I do it, it's amazing because <laughs> every conversation is completely different. And uh, you know, I, I send everybody to TeamDDPYoga.com, and you know, I want them to, you know, after they get the program, I want them to be successful because if they're successful, I'm successful. You know, it's, it's a rub that, that no one can beat, man. <laughs> it's that nobody can beat. Listen, I had a great time with you tonight. If you want to do, if you want to do the program, I will send it to you personally. Only if you really do it, and then we check back in in thirty days. We see how you're doing, and we check it as we move along. All right, yeah, I'll um, so, I'll, I'll drop uh, fill an email, and we'll work something out. And you know, I can do a write up on yeah. it also. It, it's all on you now, baby. I got to go and get my other call. It was great having uh, being a part of the show tonight. Thanks a lot, brother. Take care of yourself. Ooh. All right. All right, guys, that was Diamond Dallas Page. If you want more information, head over to ddpyoga.com. Last but not least, you can also follow him on Twitter, at RealDDP, and also at ddpyoga on Twitter. All of these notes and all these links will be in the show notes, and they will also be in the MTR Rewind post, and you'll be able to reach out to DDP within the next 24 hours if you want to try the program. I may also give it a shot. And um, maybe do a write-up on it. Maybe I will be one of the many that has tried the DDP Yoga program. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we get back, we are going to finish up the MMA news. We got a ton of wrestling news, definitely some gaming news, and of course, movie news right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> Well, you won't listen to that on our show, because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, let's jump right back into the MMA news just to wrap things up. We discussed UFC 143 before DDP came on. Just a couple of other things I wanted to throw out there. Um, Strike Force, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, March 3rd. It's already come together. Awesome card. The main event, Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey for the title. Uh, the Bantamweight belt. Mike Kyle, Gegard Mousasi, 
KJ Nunes and Josh and Josh Thompson, Paul Daly and Kazuo Mizaki, and Jacare Souza's taking on Derek Brunson. On the prelims, Sarah Kaufman, Alexis Davis, Carlos Fedor, Pat Healy, Lamumba Sayers, and Scott Smith, and Connor Hewen and Ryan Couture will be meeting on the prelim side of things. Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen, rumored to be happening in June. Dana White confirmed at the UFC 143 press conference that Silva and Sonnen have verbally agreed to fight in Brazil in June. Expect those bout agreements to be finalized soon. I'm sure... Chael Sonnen's going to need armed security during his tenure in Brazil, but it's going to be an awesome fight. Next Wednesday, UFC returns to Fuel TV with UFC on Fuel TV 1. The main event, Jake Ellenberger, Diego Sanchez. Also on that card, Dave Herman's taking on Stefan Struve, Ronnie Marks and Aaron Simpson, Philip DeFries, Stipe Miosic, TJ Dillashaw, and Willell Watson to round out the main card for Fuel. On the Facebook side of things, John Albert's taking on Ivan Menjivar. Jonathan Brookins is taking on Wagner Roca. Uh, Sean Lofer's taking on Buddy Roberts. Anton Quivanen is taking on Justin Salas. And Bernardo Magales is taking on Tim Means. Last but not least, to wrap things up, UFC 145 is pretty much confirmed. Most of the fights, of course, they are subject to change. But you can expect the following. John Jones, Rashad Evans, Michael McDonald versus Miguel Torres, Maximo Blanco's taking on Marcus Brimage, Mark Hominick and Eddie Yagen, Rory McDonald and Che Mills, Ben Rothwell is taking on Brendan Schaub, Mark Bocek and Matt Wyman, Travis Brown is taking on Chad Griggs, John McDessie and Anthony and Jaquani, Mac Danzig and Efren Escudero and Chris Clements and Keith Wisniewski are the fights that are going to round out UFC 145. And of course, as I said, Nick Diaz testing positive for marijuana metabolites. And this is his second infraction, so we're going to see if he either gets a six-month suspension or a 12-month suspension and what the UFC is going to do if that goes down. That's going to wrap the MMA segment for this week. We are going to go right into wrestling. So let's take it away. Yes, sir, we promised you a great main event here tonight. That's right. We coming for you. Let's talk about Monday Night Raw first. Monday Night Raw was very hit and miss this week. Um, Opened up with a Triple H promo discussing the events from last week, including the possible firing of John Laurinaitis, which we all know by going to WWE.com that it is not going to happen. In addition, Triple H went out of his way to confirm that he would not be wrestling The Undertaker, which we know is complete horseshit, because the arena went dark and we got a very, very well done video package from WWE with The Undertaker. I'm still torn about whether he's wearing a wig under that hat or not, but definitely a great build for WrestleMania. There's rumors that we're going to be seeing Shawn Michaels in the coming weeks that will help build up that match as well. I think that at this point, it's going to be a lot of video packages and bait and switches that are going to help get this match off the ground. Until then, let's just wait how it, let's just watch and see how it unfolds. 
First match of the night, Big Show, Daniel Bryan. Once again, AJ Lee proved to be the distraction with Daniel Bryan uh, losing via countout. Uh, the storyline, the match was more just filler for the storyline than anything else. You really didn't expect the Big Show or Bryan to do anything remotely crazy in this match. It was just more so for angle advancement. Second match of the night, Sheamus got to whoop David Otunga's ass, uh, which was perfectly fine in my book because David Otunga came out and decided to pray and do a Tebow. And the reason I had issue with this was for a couple of reasons. Number one, WWE is fucking late with that because the Tebow, the Tebow whole thing should have been done months ago. It just makes you guys look fucking shitty. Not only that, but it's David Otunga. Every time he gets his ass whooped, I, you know, I celebrate, you know, he was T-Bro, uh, you know, I, we, we clowned him a lot on the Facebook fan page. You guys can read some of the comments there, but it was just basically a filler match to get Sheamus over. The highlight, though, of Monday Night Raw for me was the masterful promo by Chris Jericho on CM Punk and CM Punk's response to said promo. Uh, definitely great chemistry between these two guys. The promo work was phenomenal, and it's really doing a solid job in building the inevitable showdown at WrestleMania. Now it should be interesting because you got to ask yourself, is Jericho are they going to put the belt on Jericho at the chamber and have Punk challenge at Mania or are they going to keep Punk strong and have Jericho challenge and then have Sheamus challenge for the belt on SmackDown? Very interesting fork in the road in terms of booking, but either way they go, I know that Punk and Jericho is going to be electric. It's going to be the show stealer of the night. Cody Rhodes, Wade Barrett in a tag team match against Randy Orton and the Great Khali. Of course, this was done in part to build the SmackDown Elimination Chamber. As usual, Rhodes, Barrett, and Orton are always on the at the top of their game. The Great Khali, I think he needs to do DDP's yoga program because he can barely walk in the fucking ring. His body is held together with Elmer's glue. Why they bring this poor guy back and put him through all these motions is ridiculous. I, I think that there should have been there are a ton of other great athletes that could have been in that chamber spot. I guess with their great Kali, you want to go with that whole freak show factor and oh my god, it's gonna be the largest pot ever. But at the end of the day, it's just gonna be a fucking train wreck. Eve E well, Eve Eve. Eve, Kelly Kelly, Alicia Fox, and Tamina took on Natalia, Beth Phoenix, and the Bella Twins. It's pretty much um the same match we see every week, which is usually even Kelly Kelly against a combination of either of those four divas. Of course, the faces win. It was fucking uneventful. John Cena and Kane got set up in a stretcher match for the pay-per-view. And the main event was The Miz and Chris Jericho. And um, they were taking on Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, R-Truth, and CM Punk in the six-pack challenge. Very, very dangerous spot went down with R-Truth in this match, which allegedly has The Miz in the doghouse. Luckily, he was not injured as a result. The match, once again, very formulaic to build up. It was more of an angle advancement match with with Chris Jericho stealing the pinfall, which, of course, leads me to believe that that may be the scenario that will play out in the chamber with Chris Jericho possibly stealing the belt from CM Punk. Overall, it wasn't the worst Raw, but there was definitely more angle advancement than anything else. Moving into the other wrestling news for this week, um, 
The WWE, much like the UFC, is considering doing 3D pay-per-views starting with SummerSlam this August. As of right now, they're going to offer them $10 over the HD price and a total of $20 over standard definition. Much like I said earlier with watching the UFC in 3D, I just don't think it's adding anything more to the programming that will result in you wanting to shell out $10 more. Strictly a cash grab as usual on the WWE's part. But for those of you that are interested in that sort of thing, 3D pay-per-views are coming this August. Sting did an interview while promoting TNA Impact in London on CNY Kiss Radio, and he actually uh, gave out some interesting bits of information with regards to him going to the WWE. And um, one of the questions he was asked was if he regrets not going to the WWE, to which he answered yes and no. Who wouldn't want to say they did at least one WrestleMania? I'd like to be able to say I did at least one of those, and that would be it. I've had great conversations with Vince over the years and have been really close on probably three or four different occasions of going up there. But there was always a need met or a desire of mine met with WCW and now with TNA, so I stay. When asked about The Undertaker as being a dream opponent for him, he went on to say that I'd have to say the top one. It's all over Twitter. I might as well just comment on it. The Undertaker. Wrestling fans have wanted to see Sting versus The Undertaker for years. And I think between his gimmick and mine, it could be pretty cool. I do have to give credit. I think that Sting and The Undertaker for the streak would have been a a, a huge match that would have had tremendous build. I mean, don't get me wrong. Triple H and The Undertaker is going to be good. But Sting and The Undertaker would be ridiculous on so many levels. It would be one of those those final culminations between WCW versus WWE that would just get so many fans involved and there'd be so much nostalgia. So I really would like to see that. I'm sure that we won't, but it would be an awesome match. Speaking of, you know, great moments, it was announced this week that Ron Simmons is going to be going into the Hall of Fame. Of course, Ron Simmons, a former WCW champion, member of the APA, um leader of the nation of domination, countless moments, of course, now he's just known as coming out randomly and yelling damn, but Ron Simmons is a great addition to the Hall of Fame, he's joining Edge, the Four Horsemen, Mil Mascaras, Yokozuna, and of course Mike Tyson that's going in the celebrity celebrity wing, so congrats to Ron Simmons, well-deserved honor. Something that I posted on the fan page this week, Ring of former Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion Chris Hero is officially signed to WWE Developmental as of earlier this week. As of right now, there are no plans to put him together with Claudio Castagnoli, his tag team partner from Ring of Honor, but it's something that we're going to be watching with much interest. I think um, Claudio and Chris Hero are going to make awesome additions to the WWE roster. They bring a little bit of that throwback style that CM Punk has where their body of work is in their wrestling, but they also have excellent mic skills. So be on the lookout for Hero and Castagnoli in the, in the near future. Next week, The Rock has a new DVD, uh, well, a new DVD and Blu-ray coming out, uh, focusing on a couple of things, which is, of course, apropos, since he will be at WrestleMania, uh, the Blu-ray is called The Rock's Epic, the, the Epic Journey of Dwayne Johnson. It'll be out the 21st, uh, not next Tuesday, the following Tuesday, I should say. And you can pick that up at your local retailer, or you can order it via 
our Amazon affiliate store because it is listed there as well. It has some of the Rock's greatest moments and some really awesome matches. Um, one of which, which is a classic, was the Rock's debut as Rocky Maivia, which was the Rock... Rocky Maivia, Mark Marrow, Barry Windham, and Jake the Snake Roberts against Hunter Hearst, Helmsley, Goldust, Crush, and Jerry the King Lawler. That match was from Survivor Series, and it was in 1996. So if you want to take a trip down memory lane, that's a great match to start with. Of course, the, the epic ladder match between him and Triple H is on there. The... Uh, triple th- the the triple threat cage match with The Rock, Mankind, and Ken Shamrock is also on that Blu-ray and DVD. The one match that I'm surprised wasn't on here was the empty arena brawl between him and Mick Foley. That was a an awesome match. It was super enjoyable. Um, the I Quit match for the WWE Championship was on there. The No Holds Barred match with uh, the, with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, the World Tag Team Champion match between the Rock and the Undertaker against Edge and Christian. That was from Raw in December of 2000, which is another match that has gone under the radar as being awesome. The Rock versus Brock Lesnar from SummerSlam. I actually still have that DVD. Of course, Rock and Hogan, and a couple of different moments that they added. Um, some exclusive to Blu-ray, including The Rock challenging John Cena at Wrestle- for WrestleMania, The Rock's birthday celebration, and The Rock and John Cena versus The Awesome Truth from Survivor Series. So those are a ton of great matches. If you don't have any of The Rock's previous DVDs, I think this will be a great definitive addition to anybody's collection, so you can pick that up the 21st from Best Buy, Target, Walmart, and like I said, you can order it from our Amazon affiliate store. Just head over to My Take Radio and click the link there. I think we have everything covered for wrestling. Yep, we do. So with that said, let's get right into some video games. I hate that fucking dog, but I figured it would be a great uh, bumper for this week's video game segment. First off, I want to talk about Mass Effect, which will be out very soon. Um, BioWare has said that you they recommend you keep your saves for Mass Effect, Mass Effect 2, and for the new one. They didn't go into details about why you should keep those saves, but they have said that it may lead to enhancements for downloadable content and possibly another game in the series that may be just exclusive for DLC. So those of you that are out there playing Mass Effect, I recommend you guys keep your saves from the previous games because they may come in handy. Game of Thrones is getting the video game treatment with the Game of Thrones RPG put out by Atlas and Cyanide Studio. You'll be able to play that May 15th on your 360, PS3, and PC. So be on the lookout for that. I wanted to talk about this next bit of news, primarily in the monologue for this week, but of course when we have a guest, things get thrown out of flux. But I'm sure when I read this to you guys, you guys are going to be bugged out of your minds about this. It of course involves politicians and video games, because whenever politicians want to get involved... They usually want to just stick their hand up the gaming industry's ass and pull out whatever they can. But this particular uh, bit of legislation that wants to be passed is exclusive thus far to Oklahoma. And it involves Oklahoma State Representative William Forkiller, who wants to propose a 1% tax on TM and adult-only rated games. 
His rationale is as follows. Violent video games contribute to some of our societal problems like obesity and bullying. But because they raise a lot of revenue, they can also provide part of the solution. First off, and this this is the, the rant that I've gone on numerous occasions, but for him to sit here, and let's let's start with obesity. Gaming does not contribute to you being a fat piece of shit. You know what contributes to you being a fat piece of shit? Eating like shit and sitting on your fat ass doing so. That's number one. It contributes to bullying. No, you know what contributes to bullying? Shitty parenting. And parents not allowing their kids to defend themselves accordingly. The problem with bullying, in my opinion, is the fact that it's something that goes under the radar and nobody ever addresses it at the source. And that's the parent. If your parent is a bully, your kid is a bully. And if your parent doesn't discipline the kid, then they're just as much to blame. To sit here and blame video games for something like that is just another way of looking for a scapegoat. It's the same thing when people automatically get diagnosed with ADD or any any other disorder, in, well, improperly, I might add, just because it's the easiest thing to do. As someone who's raised children that are developmentally disabled and handicapped, I can attest to the fact that gaming, on the contrary, helps their conditions. It does not hinder them, and it does not make them worse. On the contrary, it improves hand-eye coordination. In some cases, it teaches them how to read. It also helps them build their reflexes. So for somebody to say that these are things that, that gaming doesn't do is ridiculous but to blame obesity and bullying on gaming is pretty much on on par with blaming obesity on mcdonald's the fact is that obesity stems from you just being a shitty eater that's it gaming has nothing to do with it and not only that but gaming has evolved beyond sitting on your couch with things like the playstation move the wii we fit the connect that argument is baseless. And and like I said, and to cite bullying as well is completely horseshit. Moving on, California recently had to, of course, reimburse the Entertainment Software Association $950,000 in legal fees because they originally tried to pass a similar law. The worst part is that I understand that our government wants to raise, uh, wants to bring in capital and revenue, but to do it on the backs of gamers when there are so many other ways you can do it, why don't you tell these politicians to take a fucking pay cut? How about that? These motherfuckers, they work, you know, a couple of months out of the year, then they get to be off for a complete month, then they come back, they get to drive around in their cars and their fancy planes, first class accommodations, all this shit on the dime of the American people. But you know what? They're never held accountable for their bullshit. You know, they go out there, they got little interns that they fuck around in different parts of the country, they got mistresses, tax shelters, lobbyist dollars, but that's okay. You know, the gaming industry should be the ones to suffer by paying a 1% tax on something that's already out there that parents should be monitoring. If if your young 13-year-old kid is playing an M-rated game or an adults-only game and you aren't doing anything about it, then you're a failure as a fucking parent. 
Simple as that. Politicians, get your hands out of my fucking cookie jar and stick to what you know and I'll stick to what I know. In some Sony news this week, PSN will slowly be transitioning to being known as the Sony Entertainment Network. Some of the changes were already implemented as of Wednesday, but the change is only going to be a name only, so don't freak out. All the functions and logins are going to be are going to remain the same, but Sony is making the change because they're actually trying to unify all the brands under Sony Entertainment's network. So, the whole reason they're doing it is because it allows unity between the PSN and other entertainment devices. So, don't get freaked out if you see a name change or don't think that you were hacked. It's only something that's going to be happening to unite everything under the one umbrella. Some of you guys have told me that the change has already happened. I haven't turned on, excuse me, I haven't turned on my PS3 in a few days, so I can't attest to it, but it's already going on. So PlayStation Network will become Sony Entertainment Network very soon. Those of you that are playing Call of Duty Elite, have a ton of stuff to look forward to. The next batch of downloadable content, including Overreach, will be available on February 21st. Overreach is going to allow people to play on a construction site on the top of a New York City skyscraper. The only cool, the only catch is that while you can have battles at the top of the skyscraper, you're also able to fall from said skyscraper 70 feet to the sidewalk below. That's going to join Liberation and Piazza, which are going to be launching on the PSN February 28th. Those two maps have already been released on Xbox Live, but of course, Modern Warfare 3's exclusivity deal with Microsoft fucks those of you that have PlayStation. So be on the lookout for those in the coming weeks. The last bit of DLC will drop in March for Xbox Premium members, and it's going to include a multiplayer map called the Black Box, and you're also going to get two Special Ops missions as well, namely Black Ice and Negotiator. Now, if you guys remember a couple of months back, we were talking about a special Connect Star Wars that was going to be released in bundle with a Star Wars Connect system. Now... They put that on the back burner, but now it's starting to pick up steam, and with the re-release of Star Wars in 3D, it was a no-brainer that it would be released around the same time, and that date will be April 3rd. The bundle's going to come with the Xbox 360 console, plus a Kinect in the style of R2-D2 and C-3PO for the controller. You're also going to get a copy of Kinect Star Wars. This particular console is going to retail for $450. If you want to play the game sooner, some a- some AMC theaters here in the U.S. and in Canada as well are going to host special screenings of the 3D version of Star Wars Episode One, and during that time, it will allow moviegoers to try out Connect Star Wars. So, if you're a big Star Wars fan, April 1st is the day for you. Let's get into some MPD numbers for the month of January. It was a little quiet and a little slow, but... We got some real interesting figures to go over. First off, hardware and software sales were down 38% from last year. Sales dropped from $1.1 billion to $750 million. Last year, Little Big Planet 2 and Dead Space 2 were released in January, so that helped with the, with the overall numbers last year. But this year, it's been kind of quiet. 
On the hardware side, the 360 has sold 270,000 units this month, earning an overall market share of 49%. On the software side, most of the MPD games that we've discussed in prior months are still there, but number 8 this month is going to be Skylanders Spyro's Adventure. Uh, Coming in on the number 8 spot, of course, for the Wii, 3DS, 360, PS3, and PC. Let's go through the other cons- the other software numbers that we got. Your number 10 game was Saints Row the 3rd. Your number 9 game was Zumba Fitness 2 for the Wii. Number 8 of course was Skylanders. Super Mario Kart, well, Mario Kart 7 for the 3DS was number 7. Madden was 6. Battlefield 3 was 5. NBA 2K12 was 4. Skyrim was 3. Just Dance 3 was number 2, and in something that is a no-brainer, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3 was number 1 for the month of January. Of course, we got a couple of games coming out. We had Soul Calibur that came out. Um, we got Asura's Wrath coming real soon. And we also got UFC Undisputed 3, which actually got rated a 9.0, according to IGN. Uh, we have... Uh, Amalore. We got a couple of games coming out, so I'm looking forward to seeing the MPD numbers for the month of February because January was so quiet. That's going to wrap up the gaming news for this week. We're going to get right into the entertainment news with this. Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. Does he look like a bitch? What? Nothing like a little Sam Jackson to get the movie segment started. Well, the entertainment segment, I should say. Um, First off, to start things up, Al Pacino is going to be playing the villain in Despicable Me 2. Al Pacino will be joining Steve Carell, Kristen Wiig, Miranda Cosgrove, and Russell Brand, who are all set to return for the second installment. Details of the plot are not known as of yet, but you can expect Despicable Me 2 in July 3rd, 2013. Now, if you remember last week, we were talking about the possibility of a remake of Death Wish with Joe Carnahan being involved and Frank Grillo mentioned as well. Frank Grillo actually gave a little bit of insight into the potential Death Wish remake by saying the following. Joe Carnahan is imagining it as a two-hander, not just Bronson's character, but instead going with two brothers. He also went on to say that Russell Crowe is being considered for the lead role. He added that Carnahan wants to make the new film based on the Brian Garfield novel, much uh, much like the original concept, which was the cancelled uh, Sydney, Sydney Lumet adaptation, which was supposed to have starred Jack Lemmon. I think that going this route with a movie like Death Wish may be the best course of action, just because we've seen the revenge movies done all too often, and I honestly feel that there's only one Charles Bronson, and nobody's going to replicate his work as Paul Kersey in the Death Wish series. So, using the same name, but adding a different level to it, may actually give it the jolt that it needs to not be a steaming pile of shit. Let's talk box office totals for this week. Uh, the number one movie was Chronicle. It was a hard-fought battle, though, $22 million. It was very, very close to being bested by The Woman in Black, which was number two, earning $21 million. 
If you haven't checked out Chronicle yet and want a little bit of insight into the film, definitely check out Slick's review of Chronicle currently on MyTakeRadio.com. The Grey was number three, nine and a half million dollars. Big Miracle was four. Underworld Awakening was five. One for the Money was six. Red Tails was seven. The Descendants was eight. Man on a Ledge was nine. And Extremely Loud and Close rounded things off at ten. If you've been on MTR.com this week, you'll see, you probably have seen the new 3D trailer for Spider-Man. Well, for The Amazing Spider-Man. And the funny thing about it was that Latino Review gave out some information that they got from the Comic-Con Annual Magazine. Just It had a little bit of commentary from Mark Webb about the film. And one of the things he wanted to say is that this film is not a remake of Sam Raimi's film. He went on to say the following. It's really important for us to be able to communicate that this isn't a remake of Sam Raimi's movie. There's a new territory, there's a new villain, it's a different Peter Parker. So, what he really wanted to say was that The Amazing Spider-Man is basically the dark, the, the dark Knight of, well, the Batman Begins of the Spider-Man universe. That's what he really wanted to say, because you're going a little darker, you're adding a little bit of of change to the character, and you're taking the entire story in a new direction, which, in, in a conversation with Slick, I've said is something which may be not the best course of action, because it's another remake of an, well, no, it's another origin story, not a remake, but more so another origin story. And honestly, we're at a point where we really all know Spider-Man's origin. There's really no necessity to rehash the same shit. Anyway, he went on to say that he wanted to put a lot more humor into Spider-Man's character because of his wisecracking persona. This was the comment he made with regards to that. We wanted that humor to come from a real place. My aim was to create a world where you could feel all those emotions. There are certainly darker, more intense feelings in this movie. There is betrayal, there is tragedy, but there's also humor and romance. There are moments of furiousness and gravity, absolutely. But there are also moments of humor and levity as well as whimsy. There's a punk rock quality to Peter Parker that's really irreverent and fun, and that's something that Andrew embodies in a way that we haven't seen before. Certainly the materials that have come out have a darker sentiment, or there's a darker projection. But we're keen on staying loyal to the humor of Spider-Man. Well, while while I admire that he's trying to do something different, I still am apprehensive about Andrew the Giraffe Neck Garfield as Peter Parker, he looks way too fucking emo, and I really am not a fan of the costume, it just seems so out of place, but again, the visuals were really nice in the trailer, so I'm going to take a wait and see approach, I mean, it's sandwiched between The Dark Knight Rises and The Avengers, it's going to be a rough summer for Spidey, that's for damn sure. In some sequel news, which I'm sure is going to make Slick just as happy as it made me, Robert Rodriguez announced that Machete Kills, or Machete Kills, is officially a go. According to Deadline, Robert Rodriguez is set to begin shooting the Machete sequel in April. Danny Trejo, of course, will reprise his role, and any surviving cast members from the first film are expected to return as well. The story for this film is a little different, as uh, Machete is going to be recruited by the U.S. government for a mission that could that would be impossible for any mortal man. 
Ladies and gentlemen, that's what it says. A machete must battle his way through Mexico to take down a madman cartel leader and an eccentric billionaire arms dealer who have hatched a plan to spread war across the planet with a weapon in space. Machete takes on an army in an effort to dismantle a plan for global anarchy. Ladies and gentlemen, we may see da- we may see a Mexican in space with this film. That's all I'm going to say. I'm actually super pumped for it. If anybody expected uh, Machete to be anything more than just a, 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 B, a B-movie slasher fest, and if they expected something Oscar-worthy or relevant, then you're not watching the same fucking movies we are because that movie's meant to be fun, silly, and borderline ridiculous. So be on the lookout for that as they are going to begin shooting in April. In some other sequel news, 20th Century Fox has announced that they have an official release date for The Wolverine. That's going to be July 26, 2013. Of course, that's a follow-up to X-Men Origins Wolverine, and it's going to find Logan in Japan um, dealing not only with uh, his Japanese love interest, but also her father, her brothers, and the Silver Samurai as well. So it's going to be a very interesting turn for Wolverine. I'm hoping that they don't go with the safe PG-13 bullshit that they did with X-Men Origins and that they give Wolverine a little bit more of a vicious streak. Obviously, we're not going to get an R-rated film, but we definitely would like to see something that is closer to what we see in the books versus the um, not-as-feral Wolverine that we've seen before. Simple as that. Last bit of sequel news that I'm sure is going to blow everybody's mind. They are doing a sequel to the remake of The Karate Kid. I kid you not. Zach Penn has been hired to draft the screenplay. As of right now, Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith are pretty much a lock to return. Honestly, the first one was surprisingly passable. And it could have stood on its own two feet without even being called The Karate Kid. And the fact that it's about Kung Fu and not Karate clearly shows that it's only Karate Kid in name. But you will be getting a sequel. Simple as that. And in the bit of, in the last bit of what the fuck movie news, and you can probably call this what the fuck TV news. And if Slick is on, I definitely would love to hear his opinion on this. The Smallville series, which ended not too long ago on television, is set to continue in comic book form. The series will continue right after the series finale as an 11th season. Barry Q. Miller, writer and story editor of the TV series and DC Comics, has, has announced that Smallville Season 11 will be released April 13th digitally and May 16th in print. The series will revisit all the characters of the show, including Clark Kent, obviously. Um, Miller went on to say in a statement the following plot synopsis. Six months after Clark Kent donned the cape and took to the skies to save Earth from Apocalypse, enter Season 11. New allies abound, new enemies afoot. And old friends returns, uh, return where they're least expected. I really think that while it did work for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Smallville has become so irrelevant now that I really don't see this gaining any kind of footing. I, I honestly am dumbfounded as to why they would wait this long to do something like that, only because 
Nobody gives a shit about Smallville anymore. The only reason that Buffy has lasted so long in the Dark Horse brand is because it's it was released right after the show ended. There wasn't this huge layoff and then all of a sudden they wanted to do the cash grab. They wanted to continue the mythology and they didn't have the budget to do it on television, so they continued it in comic book form. I think with the new DC 52, there's no necessity to go the Smallville route. I think it's fucking stupid, and it's going to suck. Simple as that. Well, ladies and gents, that's actually going to wrap the show for this week. Um, I was expecting to go probably the full three hours, but surprisingly enough, I did not. I did want to mention something, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit about some information that I wanted to share with you guys in the MMA segment, and that's something that a friend of mine... um, Adam, who was a co-worker of mine, mentioned to me. And that involved Tito Ortiz and Rampage and Ryan Bader and also Forrest Griffin. And I wanted to share it with you guys before we sign off because I'm sure a lot of you will agree. Um, Forrest Griffin will be Tito Ortiz's last fight in the UFC before he retires. While I think that the fight has the potential to be an awesome fight, Ryan Bader is going to be taking on Rampage Jackson in Japan. Now, the funny thing about that is that these are two veterans of the sport taking on two guys who Forrest is is a household name now, and Ryan Bader's kind of looking for his way. But in doing some armchair booking, I just wanted to say that it should have been Rampage fighting Tito for the last fight in Japan. That's a fight that fans would have probably wanted to see. It would have been great for Japan, and it would have been a fantastic swan song for Tito Ortiz against one of the legends in the sport. Not to say that Forrest Griffin isn't a great fighter, but just something I wanted to throw out there. So, if you guys want to see that match, by all means, take to Twitter and make it happen. I personally would rather see that than have Forrest and Tito go at it again, but who am I to judge? All right, ladies and gents, you've just heard My Take Radio episode 127 for Thursday, February 9th, 2012. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. Just look for My Take Radio. We're also on MySpace. Become a fan on Facebook. Ask us questions on Formspring, formspring.me, forward slash radio, And last but not least, add us to your circle in Google+. If you want to get MTR to go, pick up the My Take Radio app on Android and iOS. It's $1.99, it's cheaper than Starbucks, and it'll give you 96K episodes of MTR. You'll also get access to MTR Behind the Mic and MTR Beyond the Mic, which are our exclusive interview series for app owners and Stitcher subscribers. You'll also get access to the Minority Film Report and countless other nuggets of of goodness that we give you guys, whether it's wallpapers, other interviews, other other episodes. All that stuff is exclusive on the MTR app. It's $1.99. If you're a cheap bastard, you can always listen to it subscribing via iTunes, listening on Blog Talk Radio, um, of course, via Stitcher, iOS, um, as I said, iTunes, you can subscribe there, Zune Marketplace, Blueberry, Miro, etc., etc., etc. You guys know the deal. If you are getting the shows from iTunes, please take a moment and rate the show. 
help us move up the rankings. Not only does it allow us to be seen by a newer audience, but it just looks nice on paper. So help us out. Be on the lookout for other content from myself, Andrea, Slick, Josh, and the rest of the MTR family in the coming weeks. Again, a reminder, My Take Radio will not be live until March 1st. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or pick up the app for all the exclusive content that we will be releasing for the next two weeks. I'll catch you guys guys later. Peace. The outro this week will be Death in the Republic from the Guilty Gear soundtrack. Thank you.